but back to Titus, he was so well trained and equipped that Paul knew he was capable of any type of ministry he could put him into to teach correct or straighten out his church situation. So Paul was so confident in his abilities that he sent him to Corinth, uh, which made them feel a little bit more comfortable about your book you're teaching for Corinthians. Uh, Paul had uh, spent time in Corinth, spent I think a year and a half with them, and they uh, and then he left and things weren't going well. He knew something wasn't right, so uh, uh, he knew he needed to have some elder influence in the church of Corinth, and so he sent uh, Titus. And, uh, uh, he knew he was so confident in Titus' ability. And think about the church of Corinth. When you think of the uh, church that should, uh, when you think of the church that's messed up and has no problems, you think of Corinth's problem. Uh, because this one that we see in the New Testament shows us that it had, had a lot of problems. So he all knew that Titus had learned so well, was trained so well with him, and had shown him. And plant a church in Troas. And uh, that 
So uh, I'll pick up on this and uh, after they ministered together for a little while there uh, in the churches, Paul had to had to go. So who does he leave there? He leaves Titus. And, uh, and even in Titus chapter one, you're there. It says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains. Uh, Paul saw that there was a lot to be done, and uh, so uh, he knew that somebody had to stay behind and take care of what needed to be accomplished there. Uh, so these immature believers uh, that had little discipling. Uh, I, 
high protein and carbs and you put some water with it and air this to it and you make, uh, cook it up a little bit and you really get a lot out of it. And uh, that's what this letter is. Uh, you know, God in his amazing and timely words can give us a piece to digest in these three, four chapters. Uh, and uh, just the outline of the, of the book itself is sort of the introduction itself is committed to God's mastery, God's mission, God's message, God's means, and God's people. I stole that from John Parker. And then uh, chapter one is a focus on church leadership. And he's talking about the, their theology, their character, and conduct. Chapter two focuses on church members and their character and conduct of that. So it's really the way the church acts and looks. And then uh, finally there's chapter three, which is focused on the leaders and the members together. Uh, it's those people before the uh, unbelieving world. So it's how they live and how they live. You think about it, if we can just assimilate all that against us and our church, it might make us a better church, a better witness to the world. So I'm excited about getting into the teaching. And uh, so that gets into the first chapter.
Saul and then St. Paul. Uh, uh, and this is the way they wrote letters back then. They would start out with the name of the person that's writing the letter so there's no confusion about where it's coming from. When we write a letter today, what we do put our name at the end of it, several pages long, you have to still sit through, do this sentence, do we ever get started, so, so you know whether you want to listen to what they've got to say or not. But Paul started out with Paul. Uh, and that, that makes more sense to me that they did that kind of old-fashioned things, right? Instead of looking uh, at the letter, uh, we've got a, uh, and we know who Paul was, right? He was born Solomon, Tarsus of Sicily, and by the way, that's modern day uh, Tarsus, <clears throat> Turkey. And uh, he was from a Jewish family living there, but because he was born there, he was a Roman citizen. It's not like him. people are coming uh, come into the United States as aliens if they have a child, a child of the U.S. Same, same thing was going on there. So he was a, he was a Roman citizen. And living in that city, he learned the, the way the Greeks and the Romans did things, but he stuck to his roots of uh, being Jewish. And so at the age of 13, he went to Judea and learned from the rabbi Gamaliel, which was like the best teacher of the time. So at age 13, when he, at his bar mitzvah, age, he went to that. Uh, and he studied... Uh, Jewish history, he mastered that, the Psalms, and the works of the prophets, and then he learned how to debate things by asking questions, which was the way they, they taught him to do that. And in the process, he continued to become a lawyer so he could defend the law or prosecute those who broke the law. And uh, most likely, he was so good at it because of what he did in the book, book of Acts early on, he was a part of the Sanhedrin, or at least one of their one of their go-to guys when they made, made decisions. Uh, he was he was so zealous in his faith that he did not allow any compromise in what he had learned, uh, and that zeal led him to become an extremist. We saw what we've seen that was when he was in Acts 8 3. He said he began ravaging the church, uh, entering house after house, dragging men and women, uh, dragging off men and women, uh, and he would put them in prison. That's pretty strange stuff. Uh, but then we know what happened on the road with Damascus. He meets Jesus.
somewhat subjective and somewhat internal. But principles are not subjective. They're objective and they're external. They're outside the individual and they're fixed. Paul never functioned on whim, never functioned on his own passions or his own emotion. His whole life of ministry was built on these four principles. Absolutes that never change. Uh, divine principles of that. That's what made him that's what made him the man he was and is. It's what made him fruitful in God's service. These principles were the core of his life. Uh, you, know you need that and I need that. Uh, we need to operate off principles. McCarthy uh, almost said, say, let me tell you what principle affects. It affects four things primarily in your life. And if you can imagine a diagram, then you've got four arrows going off in directions. Uh, center of your life is four principles. And uh, those, uh, those principles affect your life, and it comes out in a fourfold manner. Uh, one way it comes out is in confidence. You function with confidence when you, have, when you function on principles. There's a certain security in what you do because you know what it's built on and it's, you know it's built on something that's fixed. You know what is true, you're clear about what's true, and you're committed yourself to that that's true. Uh, you act com confidently in response to that truth. Confident people like Paul are confident no matter what happens. It doesn't matter then whether the result is good or bad or indifferent, whether people love, love you or hate you, whether there's an affirmation or hostility in their response. He did, he did what he did because he had complete confidence and because he was operating off the principles. These principles that God had planted in his heart. So he has an assurance, he has assurance to act and there's no hesitation, no equivocation. He moves, and he moves with confidence. And the second thing that comes out of the principle of life is purpose. Purpose, you know that when you have purpose, you know what you're about. And you're not only ready to act, you know what to do. And you know how to, how to act. Does the direction is laid down for you? And you know exactly what is expected of you so that you know what to do, and you know how to do it. And you know you must do it. And there's a third uh, little thing that comes, shoots out of this four principles. It's wisdom. When you know principle, know principle and act on principle, you have discernment and judgment, and you know the things that are to be done, and you know enough to do those things. And you know enough to do something about it. You know what uh, what to do, you know how to do it, and because you have principle, that principle lays out all of that for you. And then there's a fourth little thing, and that's power. That's a little thing to be Power, uh, when you operate on principle, you have power. You move with strength, you have energy to act because you're Divine direction. And the motivation of your heart is clear, and you have 
gives us two clues as to how that came to be in his life when he gives us this description of himself. When he calls him, he uh, describes his life, he's saying he's a bond slave of God. The word bond slave, uh, I don't know, when I read it, it was just slave, I believe, in, in the ESV. But in the uh, New American Standard, it's uh, bond servant or bond slave. Bond servant. And bond servant is slave. Or bond slave is doulos is the word. It means servant, slave. Uh, it's the most servile term that Paul could have called himself in that time, even our time. Uh, he saw himself in bondage to God with no will of his own. All his purpose and plans Slavery was, since slavery was widespread in the Roman Empire, everyone knew that slaves had the right to freedom. And Paul uses this title in a positive sense because not only did he know that he owed that kind of allegiance and service to God because of what the Lord has done for him, but he knew that he had followed the precious blood of Jesus. And all this began at uh, Paul's conversion back in Acts 9. <coughs> you remember the road to Damascus? He was struck blind uh, and by the light. And what did uh, what was it? Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, Paul, and Saul said, Who are you, Lord? That's key. He immediately knew. Surrendered to something, something, somebody. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And from that moment on, submission was, it was submission on Paul's part to what he did. He said, Who are you, Lord? And the next thing he said was, What do you want me to do? He engaged himself at that moment in a submissive role as a slave of God and Christ. It meant that Paul was the undisputed possession of God. When we come to Christ, who do we want to Are we an undisputed possession of God? There's another little, uh, another title Paul uses to describe his life driven by this, these, principles, these principles. Not only is he a bond slave of God, but he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, here Paul narrows the focus of being a bond slave of God, the principle uh, that was basic to his life, to the necessary purpose of his life, and that's being the apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, and this is the nature of this bond slavery he had to God. Uh, he was sent by God to perform the task of being a messenger on behalf of Jesus Christ. Uh, the word apostle means messenger or envoy or ambassador. And sometimes we get the idea that apostle is a lofty term. 
Uh, in fact, is the fact is it is not hard. We think of apostle and we we think in elevated terms, but not only the way that it's elevated, but because God elevated these men when, when he uh, sent them out. The term itself is not elevated at all. It's not lofty. It's not dignified. Will over 